I, I want to, to talk about love this weekend. And love is an interesting word here in the United States because we only have one word for love. In other languages, they have several words. But we love our husband, love our wife, love our kids. We also love air conditioning. I mean, we, but it's same word, but different emotions. So, so what is love? And, and how do you express it? And what does the Bible really have to say about it? And I think it's especially important in times like this because it's like, how do I love my neighbor? How do we love our community? And does God care about that? Well, he does. If you look at John chapter 13, and again, it's important. I'm glad if you read your Bible from your phone or your iPad, but I think it's important from time to time to get kind of the old school Bible so that you can see where what you're reading is in context to the whole narrative of Scripture. In John chapter 13, the first three, 13 chapters of John cover the first 33 years of the life of Christ, okay? So you have the first 13 uh, chapters, the first 33 years, and then from chapter 13 to the end of the book or end of the letter, you have a week. So it, it covers just a few days of Jesus' life. And look at what he says in verse 34. He says, so now I'm giving you a new, you might circle the word new commandment, what is the new commandment? Let's read those three words out loud together. You ready? Love. Yeah, love sounds better than that. Why don't you look at the, to the person sitting beside you? All right, look at them. If they're a stranger, maybe they won't be after this, okay? <laughs> look at that person and say these three words. You ready? Here we go. Love. No, no. Put that look in your eye. All right, you know that look. Come on. We're going to say it one more time. Here we go. Love, yeah, love each other. He says, that's a new command. And then he defines it for us. He says, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Then your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So how do we love? How are we supposed to love according to what Jesus has to say in the, in the book of John? Well, Here's a few questions. The first question is, what is supposed to be our ob the object of our love? And he tells us, he says, a new commandment I'm giving you to love one another. See, the, in the Old Testament, God says we're supposed to love. The problem is, people had a hard time trying to figure out who it was they were supposed to love. It was easy to love those who agreed with them. It was easy to love those who were easy to love, but they chose to hate those who hated them. That's why when you read a story you've probably heard about in the New Testament called the Good Samaritan, do you know why Jesus told that story? He told that story because somebody asked him, who's our neighbor, right? What are the greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And somebody raised their hand, and they said, well, who's my neighbor? Because they understood the power of the word love. See, because we don't, we don't even think about that. Right? Love, love is easy for us. All we have to do is really say it. We love the world. We love those folks over in the Middle East that have been going through a difficulty. Or we love the victims of Harvey. Or we love uh, the folks down there. And all we have to do is say it. And we think that we have fulfilled the definition of love. But they understood there was more to it. They understood that... Well, it was going to cost them something. So they're like, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, where you have the Samaritan 
dude and you have the Jewish guy. And of course, they, they, they were prejudiced towards one another. They didn't like one another. And yet, uh, Jesus is defining this. We are to love one another. That means those that are easy to love and those that are difficult to love. In, in the New Testament, again, over and over you see there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no bond or free. There is no male or female. Now, what, what does he mean when he says that? Well, it's not, he's not talking about tolerance because tolerance is only acceptance. If I'm a tolerant person, what does that mean? I'm an accepting person. Well, love is more than that. And it's not equality either because God, he is not saying that there is no difference between a man or a woman or there is no difference in our ethnicity because if you were to bring these terms into 2017, Jew and Gentile would carry the idea of ethnicity, okay? Uh, bond and free would carry the idea of, of poor and wealthy. And then, of course, man and woman would be, be sex. And so when the scripture says there's no difference in these, it's not an idea of equality in the sense that there's no difference in our ethnicities. Because we know when we get to heaven, Revelation tells us we hang on to our ethnicity, so, so it, 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 and, it's, it, and there is a difference between a man and a woman. Here's the way I wrote, this is what I wrote in my note. Acts says that God is no respecter of persons. So in other words, we are all sinners, but we are also all made in God's image, and we are all loved by God. We all have different skills and abilities that we are to leverage for the community, to, to love one another. In other words, whether as a man or a woman, that we are all, um, with our different skills and different abilities, we are to leverage those uh, for the community, to, to love one another, to serve one another, we're going to see in just a moment. And Jesus gives us this example. In John, same chapter, okay, we just read verses 34 and 35. Now we're going to stay in the same chapter, but we're going to go to the beginning of the chapter. We're going to look in verses 3 through 5. It says, Jesus got up from the table, he took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet. And then an important part, drying them with the towel he had around himself. Now, I had the guys uh, bring out, we kind of have these instruments. We have the water, we have the bowl, and we have the towel. Now, I want us to read what Jesus did here and realize that it's an overlay for his whole life. In what he did to uh, the disciples' feet and washing them, he's also telling us what, he, what his life did. Let's look at it again. Jesus got up from the table. Now, what do we know about Jesus? We know that Jesus got up, you might say, from the table of heaven. He, he, he came to planet Earth, the incarnation, when uh, God put on flesh and came to planet Earth. So you have that same idea. Jesus got up from the table. He got up from the table of heaven. He took off his robe. Well, remember what the scripture says about Christ? What did he take off when he came to Earth? He didn't take off his divinity, but he took off the privilege of his divinity. In other words, he was still all God and still all man, but he took off, uh, Philippians says, although he was equal with God, he did not consider that equality something to be grasped or taken a hold of. He took it off, and he put on, what does it say? He put, uh, or wrapped a towel around his waist. Well, what did he put on when he came to earth? He put on uh, skin, didn't he? he? He put on humanity. It says then, 
He poured water into a basin. Now remember, this is just a few hours before he's going to do, what does the scripture say? Pour out his life. And then he washes the disciples' feet, which of course is what happened on the cross. He, what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Christ. And then he dried them. He completed what he started. He didn't just die on the cross, but he also resurrected from the grave. Let, let me show you. If we read Philippians 2, you, you see what he did when he washed their feet. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So you, again, remember what Jesus said? Do what I am doing. Do what I am doing. Verse 6, though he was God, he did not cons or think of equality with God as something to cling to. Right? He got up from the table. He came to planet Earth. He took off. It says instead he gave up his divine privileges. And he put on the towel, the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. He knelt. He washed. That's what the cross is. He knelt. He washed and died a criminal's death on the cross. Now when I read that, here's what I realize. There is a dirtiness to, to washing feet, to loving one another. It's interesting the symbol here, feet. All of the apostles or disciples, they all had these feet. And if you know, and during this time, most of the folks would wear sandals and they didn't have paved streets, so they were, it was dirty. Their feet would get dirty. It was hot. Their feet would get sweaty. And in a situation like this, when they would come, because they're coming to eat the Passover meal, they would sit not in chairs, they would recline at the table. And so their feet would be very close to one another, close to the food. And normally there would be a servant who would wash their feet when they would take off their shoes. It, this couldn't be, though, a Jewish servant or a Jewish slave, right? These guys were all Hebrews. And this was such an ugly job that only a Gentile slave could do it, not a, a, a Jewish or a Hebrew slave. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't do this. But on this day, of course, there was evidently nobody there to do it. And the guys said, there's no way in the world we're going to do it. Because feet are gross, right? I mean, they're just, they're, 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 they're gross. They're stinky. They're ugly. I mean, there are probably a few of you folks who have you know, weird fetishes about feet. But for the most part, they're just, they're just, people spend a lot of money to do what? Cover up their feet. We don't all have gloves, but we all have shoes. Why? Because feet are yucky. They're, they're stinky. They're, they're sweaty. They're dirty. They're nasty. And, and, and again, I think this is a reminder. We are to love one another. We are to love those who are easy to love, and we are to love those who are dirty stinky, those we don't get along with, those that maybe we even struggle with. You know, I was thinking about this, and before Hurricane Irma, we called the different cities, and we told them, hey, if you need some help before or after the storm, we're here to serve and let us know. And, and the mayor of Cooper City called us, and he asked us to help some of the veterans who were unable to put up their storm um, I always want to say, what are they called? Shutters. I always want to say shelter. Anyways, put up these storm shutters. Now, I've got to be honest. When, when the mayor of Cooper City called, I, I struggled with that with a little bit because in, in my opinion, he's got stinky feet. 
Um, and, and, and here's what I mean by that is I've never actually seen his feet, but, and I don't know, you know, that he's necessarily the one responsible. It could be a law, whatever. But I do know at one time we had a baptistry, a large baptistry right outside here at our Cooper City campus. And the city made us take it down because they said it wasn't a baptistry, it was a pool. We did have a big sign that we were able to advertise what was going on within the church. The city made us take it down. They said it was a billboard. And even the glass house that we're going to move into, when, as we began to build it, they made us uh, take it down and do it differently. Um, so when he called and, and asked if we could help, I'm, I'm like, you got nasty feet. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't, I don't know if I want to wash yours. I mean... Right, like I said, I don't know how much he has to do with any of that, but I do know that's the way that I felt. Now, I'm going to talk about that in a moment, but I want to answer this second question. If that is our, the object, the object of our love is to be one another, not selective, not a few. What is to be the expression of our love? Servanthood. The expression of our love is not our voice. It's not our words. It's our service. And, and, I, and I wrote this down because in our culture, we get this confused a little bit. We don't express our love for one another by how much we hate an oppressor. Here's what I mean. I don't show how much I love these folks by how much I hate these folks who hurt these folks. In other words, we don't show our love towards hurricane victims by how much we hate hurricanes. That's not what the scripture says. What does it say? How do we show our love for those who have been oppressed? Not by what we say about those who did the oppressing, but by how, what we, how we serve those who have been oppressed. Not by how we hate the hurricanes, but by how much we love the victims. The scripture says the enemy is not one another. Ephesians 6 says, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities. There is an adversary, there is an enemy. Now, Jesus talks about this in John 13, same chapter, verse 12. After he's washed their feet, look at what it says. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, he sat down, and he asked. He really wanted them and us to understand this. He says, do you understand what I was doing? Now, you wouldn't think he'd have to ask this question, would you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, what does he say we ought to do? We ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Now do as I have done to you. So Jesus says, how do we express our love? It's not by saying, I love you, I love you. Let, let me write it in a poem. No, no. How do we love? By humbly serving one another. This is the expression of love that Jesus has modeled for us. That's what real love is. And that's what he calls us as Christ followers to, to share with one another. And i got to tell you, I've never been prouder to be a part of God's people and of potential church than I have in these last few weeks. I was reading a couple of articles from the USA Today, and it was talking about how the church, how uh, people of faith were the first responders in both of these natural disasters. Here's what the USA Today says. It says, disasters come unpredictably, as did Harvey. But the response to such disasters follows a distinct pattern. 
And that pattern consistently involves the uh, disproportionate presence of people of faith. Churches don't do everything, but they come in after the immediate needs of rescue, starting to get involved during emergency relief, um, and mostly are mobilized during the recovery. Then that was in August the 30th, 31st. Then after Irma, another headline, September the 10th, the U.S. Today said this, faith groups provide the bulk of disaster recovery in coordination with FEMA. In other words, who's first on the ground that doesn't have all the bureaucracy involved? It's those who are Christ followers. But that shouldn't really be any surprise. Why? Because that's what love is. And the church has proclaimed for a long time, we love you. Right? We love you. We love you. And the world has gotten deaf to our voice, to our preaching, to our singing, to, uh, to, to all. But when we serve, I've been so um, inspired by those who didn't have power showing up um, each day to go out and help other people. That's what love is. Love is serving. I, I got a uh, received a letter from the mayor, Greg Ross, from Cooper City. Let me read just a little bit of it. It says, your coordination with our CERT team to install hurricane shutters and boards on the homes of our most vulnerable residents was an incredibly valuable resource and what would have otherwise been an extremely difficult mission to complete as Hurricane Irma threatened South Florida. In the aftermath, you have been a vital contributor in the cleanup and restoration efforts. He goes on to talk about um, in the green spaces. And in the last paragraph, he says, as we continue to work together on the shutter takedown project, I like the way he threw that in, and ongoing renewal efforts, we want to thank you for the amazing job you have done this far. and look forward to a long and mutually rewarding community partnership with your congregation. Now, that letter was simply written because of serving church has been here for 40 years and, 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 it, and, and it's easy to talk but there's a cost we're going to see in a moment involved in actually serving now look at what Jesus says same chapter John 13 it says and it's not in your outline but it's going to be up here on the screen verse 17 now that you know these things what things you know that you are to love one another. How? What's the expression? By serving one another. Now that you know these things, what does he say? God will, and circle that word, bless you. God will bless you doing them. Now the word bless is, is an important word. In Matthew 5, you've heard the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the, the, the pure in spirit. Blessed are the, the weak. He, he, the word blessed there could just as easily be translated happy or happiness. So Jesus stands and he says, now that you understand that love is expressed through serving, you will find happiness in doing that. See, that's why he said, do you, under, do you get this? Because that's not naturally what we think. See, when you and I receive a phone call this, and somebody says, hey, after you get off work, you want to come and help us, you know, get trees off so-and-so's roof or you want to go with us down to Key Largo? If you and I say, no, man, why do we say no? We say no because we really believe that we'll be happier sitting in our recliner than we will be sweating out in the keys in somebody's house we don't know in a place that we never go. We'll be happier. And Jesus is saying, you're wrong. You're wrong. 
Real happiness is not found in us serving ourselves. Serving ourselves with our own time and our own money. What does he say? He says real happiness is found in serving one another. See, reconciliation happens how? We tend to get in disagreements with one another. And when we get in disagreements with one another, we see it from what? Our side. What you ought to do for me. All right? You got stinky feet. Wash your feet. And then come see me. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying that real happiness is found in washing one another's feet. You know what I've discovered in the last week? The mayor's feet don't stink quite as bad as I thought. Right? There's a reconciliation. There's an understanding of who the city is and why they have to do what they do and who we are and why we do what we do. And the same thing is true in your marriage. If you want a reconciled marriage, my question is not what is your spouse doing to you. My question is, are you serving your spouse? If you want to be reconciled with your children, the question is, is are you serving your children? Are you serving your, uh, 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 your boss? You say they don't deserve to be served. I, I, I don't know if they do or not. All I know is Jesus said we are to love one another. And there's no qualifier. See, love is not based upon I love my supervisor so, and then my supervisor treats me right. No, love is an expression of servanthood and that has nothing to do with how you respond to me. That's why it's rare. That's why they asked, well, who's my neighbor? Because this, this love thing has a huge, a huge price attached to it. See, the third question is, how strong is this love? What's the strength of our love? And I got to tell you, for me, this is the most encouraging because it's the completion. What's the strength of our love? It gets completed. In the same chapter, verse 1, Jesus says, he loved them to the very end. Don't, doesn't that encourage you, right? Because that's really what this is all about. The cross is that he loved us to the very end. He's just a few hours before he's going to face this. And we know that he didn't want to go here. Remember the garden? Remember his prayer, Father, if there's any other way than the cross, any other way, not my will though, but yours. The Bible says he prayed with such intensity that his sweat turned to blood. And yet he loved us to the very end. And not only, and we're going to see in the moment through the cross, but also in his continual reaching out or continual serving of Judas. Jesus knew what was in Judas' heart. He knew that Judas was, uh, had planned or was planning to betray him. Judas was the treasurer, and he knew that he wasn't trustworthy in that job. And yet Jesus spends just hours before the cross, Judas having a lot to do with that, and Jesus spends those hours not being mad at Judas, but trying to reach Judas, serving Judas. Let me, let me show you just a few of them. The first one's found in verse 21. Look at what it says. Same chapter. Now Jesus was deeply Troubled, circle that, deeply troubled. The word troubled, it's the same word used to describe Jesus when his sweat turned to blood. When he looked at the disciples, he said, guys, come pray with me. I am troubled. It's that feeling of anxiety. It's that feeling of nauseousness that you get inside of your stomach. Why was Jesus deeply troubled? 
because he knew the future of, 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 of Judas. He knew that he, one was going to betray him and he knew where that betrayal would lead. And Jesus loves us for God so loved the world. But he continued to serve him. I would have been mad. I'd have been, I wouldn't have been troubled. I'd have been angry. I would have been thinking about all the things I'd done for you, Judas, and now you're going to betray me? How can you do that? You've seen what I've done. You know who I am. But where does Jesus set Judas? He sets him to his left. He sets him in a place of honor. Why does he do that? I think, again, because Jesus is, is reaching out to Judas. He is serving Judas. He is, he is Judas, why are you going to do this? Why? Not only that, there are several, if you read the whole chapter, there are several times where Jesus just calls it out. He says, somebody's going to betray me. He quotes Psalm 41. And if you go back and read Psalm 41, Psalm 41 is a psalm of betrayal. And I think the reason Jesus does all of this, again, is to awaken Judas. That I know, Judas, what you're planning on doing. I know, Judas, what's going on in your heart. But you don't have to do this. This is not beyond me. I'm not going to be surprised by this. Judas, there's still opportunity to turn or to repent. Did you notice that when Jesus said, in John 13, when Jesus says, you know, somebody's going to betray me? If you read, you know what the disciples, you know how they respond to that? They're like, is it me? Now, that's interesting to me. Because again, they've spent a lot of time with Jesus, and Jesus knew the whole time uh, who Judas was at heart. You would have thought he treated Judas a little different, at least a little bit, wouldn't you? I mean, right, did you ever grow up with brothers or sisters, and somebody did something, and your parents called you in, and they're like, okay, who wrote on the wall? And you and your sister both looked at the same brother, right? It's like everybody knew who it was that wrote on the wall. Right? You would have thought that would have happened here. You would have thought that Je but Jesus didn't treat Judas any different from all the other disciples. He served them in the same way. He loved them and he calls us to do the same thing. I am amazed by God's love. He dips his bread and then he gives it to Judas, which is an act of friendship. Again, reaching out to Judas. I shouldn't be surprised, though. Isn't that what he's done in your life and in my life? Right? How many times have you rejected him? We like to think that we kind of trip into sin, don't we? But many of us have not tripped into sin. We've known what God's wanted us to do, and we did what we wanted. Now, we excused it, and we rationalized it, but you know, if you're honest, you just did what you wanted to. And God still reached out. God still serves. God still loves. And he calls us to do the same thing. We are to love to the end. And of course, the ultimate end is, is death. It's the cross. He alludes to it in, in the next chapter, or the next second chapter 15. He says, this is my commandment. Love one another or each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than what? To lay down one's life. Or there's no greater love than what? To love to the end. Anybody can serve for a season. 
You, you know how many folks in my 25 years of ministry I've seen love God for a season? Serve for a season? We're, we're all tempted to do that, aren't we? Jesus was. He didn't want to go to the cross. His skin battled against it. And yet, in John 19, 30, on the cross, he cries out, it's finished. In other words, I have loved to the end. And why is it so difficult? I think sometimes because... Has anybody ever stepped into your life and said, you need to give up on them. You need to get past them. You need to move on with your life. They're, they're, you, just, you just need to see, go forward. Well, you know, Jesus had the same thing. In Matthew, it tells the story of Peter. Jesus came up, stood up one day, and he says, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem, which means I'm, I'm going to suffer and die. And Peter stands up, and he says, no, 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 not on my watch, Jesus. That, that, that can't happen. You're the Messiah. You, you can't go and die. Remember how Jesus responds in verse 23 of Matthew 16. He says, get away from me, Satan. Those are strong words. Why does he call him Satan? He says, because you are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. You are a trap. What was the trap? How was Peter laying a trap for Jesus? Well, the trap was that Jesus wouldn't love to the end. That Jesus would, you know, say, I, I, I'm just going to give up on humanity. I, I'm just going to walk away from humanity. I, 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 that's what Peter, that's the trap. The trap was for Jesus not to love you and me to the end. And haven't you had that trap in your life at times? Where it's so easy to walk away because after all, what they did or how they responded or, or whatever it was, you just... What's the strength of our love? Is it loves to the end. The next question is, well, what's the cost? And you know this. You've already figured it out. It's sacrifice. To love one another means that you have to sacrifice. You have to set aside your prejudice. You have to set aside your desire for revenge. You have to set aside your desire to get even because here's something I've learned in my 50 years of life. People are going to let you down. They're going to tell you they'll do something and not do it. They're going to declare something but not act in that declaration. People at work are going to let you down. Get this, your spouse is going to let you down. Your kids are going to let you down. Your parents are going to let you down. And not only that, guess what? You're going to let your spouse down. You're going to let your kids down. See, we bring our peopleness with us. And because we do, there's a sacrifice, there's a cost. And the cost is the sacrifice, is that I'm going to love you even when you let me down. I'm going to love you when everything within me wants to walk away from you. I'm still going to take the towel and I'm going to serve you. Why? Because I love you, not with my words, but in the same way in which Jesus loves me. Right? That's a, that's a sacrifice. To love one another. It's a sacrifice to serve. It takes time and energy. You know, it's great that the church leads the way when it comes to rescue, whether it be Harvey or whether it be here in Irma. But who is the church? It's the people. It's time and energy, money and resources. See, servanthood is a sacrifice. Or everybody would love. 
It's a, it's a sacrifice to bring it to completion because it takes endurance and patience and perseverance. When people mistreat us or do something that we don't understand. So there is a cost. I love the scripture. I love that the Bible says, hey, God, Jesus stood up and he said, hey, you've seen what I've done. And if you'll do what I do, you will find happiness. If you'll make the sacrifice, you will find what you're looking for. But I also love that the scripture is very clear in that, hey, but it's a sacrifice. It's going to take faith to live a generous life. It's going to take sacrifice to give of your time, give of your skills, give of your energy. The Bible doesn't walk away from that. It calls it right out. And what's the impact? What's the impact of real love, the kind of love we're talking about? Well, it's transformation. Right? I mean, we brought not only what Jesus used to wash people's feet, but we brought the elements of communion. And what are these elements of communion? Why, why do we celebrate communion? Well, the Lord's Supper is a reminder of this event. It's when Jesus, that's what they were doing. They were experiencing the Passover. You have the wine and you have the bread. The wine is a reminder of his blood, the cost of his love for me. The only way he could love me to the end was to die. And to die meant he had to give his blood and his body. Right? The nails in his hands and his feet, the crown of thorns on his head, the spear in his side. And what was the impact? Transformation. And what's the symbol of that? Well, me and you. My life was changed because of love and the sacrifice that others were willing to make, the price they were willing to pay. I grew up about two blocks away from Calvary Baptist Church in Paragould, Arkansas. I could walk to church. And I remember as a little elementary kid, every summer we would have VBS. It would go all week long. It'd be two or three hours. That I remember the older ladies, they'd serve us Kool-Aid and cookies. We'd play wiffle ball, and then we'd have Bible study time. We didn't have, you know, video or anything. We had a felt board with these paper Jesuses and disciples. And the teacher would step there and they would tell us that lesson. When I became a middle schooler, I would walk to church on Wednesday night. And on Wednesday night, we had uh, two constructions, contractors is what they did for a living. Danny was his name and uh, Connor. I've called him Clyde, but his name was Connor. And they would teach us every Wednesday night. And I can't imagine how difficult that was to teach, a, 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 you know, I don't know how many of us there were, 10, 15 maybe, junior high, middle school boys. And every Wednesday they would be there. And I knew that if I went, they would be there. In other words, they, they loved me. They sacrificed for me. And that has forever transformed my life. Their love has changed me, which means that I then have been able to impact my family. See, real love has real transformational powers. The reason we're not changing the world is because we really don't love the world. Because the world, because real love takes servanthood. So I want to end. I've got two questions to end with, and then I'll pray. Here are my two questions. Is who do you need to love? I mean, who has God nudged your heart? Somebody in your family or somebody at work, somebody in the neighborhood down the street. Maybe it's the folks in the Keys or Cuba or Houston. I mean, who, who do you need to love that you've kind of been pushing back?
Oh, you've said it, but you haven't served them. Because that's my second question is how do you need to serve them? Not just say it, declare it. How do you serve them? Let's bow our heads. Father, I, I thank you, first of all, for your love, that you really love me. And you don't give up on me. And you have sacrificed for me. And I pray that I would then be able to do the same, that I would be able to love one another, <laughs> that my expression would be a true humbling and servanthood, and that I wouldn't give up, that I would pay the price to see the impact, transformation, change, that the world may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. They can deny what I say. They can make fun of our church. But they can't hide from our love. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.